0: Uh, we're continuing a series this week called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. Um, <clears throat> lying is a problem that we live with in our culture, a little more than we like to admit. Um, don't really want to challenge you to do this, but if you really evaluate your interactions with people and really pick up on how much you're tempted or maybe even do uh, shade the truth a little bit or not exactly uh, speak in uh, 100% truth, listen. Sometimes that's probably appropriate, okay? But, but um, we struggle with this. There was a survey done in a book for a book called The Day America Told the Truth. It kind of revealed maybe some disturbing things about us and our culture. Um, in this uh, survey, 91% of those surveyed said they lie routinely about matters that they consider trivial. That's 91%. That's a lot. Then uh, 36% lie about matters that are important. That's still a pretty big number. 86% lie regularly to their parents. If you're a parent, you probably know. That's how it goes down. 75% lie to their friends pretty regularly. And 73% to their siblings. And even 69% to their spouses. We have kind of accepted that deception, shades of the truth, uh, not telling things exactly the way they are, is kind of how we exist together. And in some ways, we think that probably makes it better. I understand that. But, but what I want us to do in this series is not so much deal with our propensity uh, and our challenges with truthfulness. But it's really to look at the source of deception in our world. Where would it come from? And Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire is really all about the lies that the devil tells to us. And we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. Um, You and I have a tendency to focus in on the physical world we live in, the physical issues we face. We think that's where all the problems are. And unfortunately, we have a tendency not to be clued into the fact that there is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. There's a supernatural realm that we do not see with our physical eyes. We can gain the ability to sense it and to know what's going on there, but we really need direct revelation from God about what goes on there and what that looks like and what's happening in that realm. Because the truth is, you and I have an enemy. He's a deceiver. And his job, his desire, his number one aim is to keep you off mission and get you to mistakenly follow a path in life that is not what the God who created you wants for you. Okay, that's his goal, is to get you off track, to keep you distracted. And so in this series, I'm trying to bring to light the reality of a spiritual being that, again, in our culture, we have a tendency to make uh, into, um, you know, an urban legend or just a, a philosophy or, you know, there's a dark power or force, um, you know, like some good Star Wars philosophy. But the truth is, the Bible teaches us Satan is a being that exists. He was created by God. He's an angel of light. And he is the accuser, He is a deceiver. And so uh, I really wanna confront that in this series as people navigating this physical life that we're aware, we grow in our awareness of that realm and that we're clued into it and we know what's going on there. Most of the battles, the serious battles that you face in your life are spiritual in nature. They're primarily spiritual. Your biggest enemy, the greatest threat to you is a spiritual enemy, yeah, I know you have physical enemies, and you got physical struggles, and we all do. But if you uh, can remain focused on those physical issues and miss the fact that you have a spiritual enemy that's a, that is, and you are under attack, then you're going to miss and, and respond inappropriately. You're not going to be prepared to fight this battle. So Jesus actually gives us a lot of insight, more insight into this being called the devil, and what we find out about him is a little bit more about his character, about his nature, about his role. And so what we find from Jesus' words in John 8 is that the devil, in fact, is the one who invented lying. He's the one who invented it. Shading the truth, deception, um, saying things that are not true. This is where it comes from. The source of lying is the devil. John eight forty four, Jesus speaking to the nation of Israel good God-fearing people, right? Uh, they, they were the people of God. They had the law. They were the carriers of who God was in his revelation on earth. They were God's people. Here's what Jesus said to him. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and get this, and the father of lies. God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you penetrate our hearts, open our eyes spiritually to see the battle we're engaged in, to see the reality of this world? Help us to become equipped to combat the lies that the enemy will, um, will direct at us, will whisper into our ears, seeking to bring destruction to our lives, to move us away from your purpose, your plan, your identity for us. I pray that you would equip us to fight this battle. Give us eyes to see it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We need to understand the danger of deception. The danger of deception. It's incredibly dangerous. Uh, uh, Deceit, lies, uh, untruth incredibly dangerous for us. The problem is we have a a tendency to think that it actually plays a good role in our lives. The reason we have such a tendency to lie is that we have this idea that freedom comes from being able to determine what we do. If I'm in control and I get to make my own decisions, that's freedom. Okay. That's a shade of the truth. The problem with that is that we are sinners. We have sin natures. And our tendency is not to do with our free will, with our decision-making. We don't tend to do things that are the best for the world we live in, the best for even ourselves or for others. We have a tendency to do what we perceive as being the best for us. But because we have a flawed nature, those decisions end up being really destructive for us and for others. And the problem with freedom, as I get to make my own decisions, I'm in control. The problem with that is I have a tendency... uh, to uh, be self-focused and self-centered and the decisions I make, again, are not really good even for myself. And so we've got to confront this reality. But the lie that we're going to look at today is a lie that is powerful. It's been used by the devil for thousands of years, nearly since the beginning of the human race, and it is powerful. You have heard it, you have thought it, you are tempted to believe it. You may be walking as though it's the truth right now. This will happen to us. It's part of the reason we got to expose it. What is the lie? It goes something like this. If God cared, if God cared, this wouldn't be happening. If God really cared, this wouldn't be happening. Another way that this can sound is a little uh, thought process that goes like this. Didn't God say this? Didn't God promise you this? Didn't he say he would do this? Didn't he say he would keep you from this? Didn't God say whatever, fill in the blank. Well, if he did, then this is what it would look like in your life if you were to keep that promise. Okay, are you tracking with me? This is the equation that we like to think in. Another way I've heard this talked about in the world is if there's an all-powerful God all-powerful, and he's 100% good, pure, right, then there shouldn't be any evil in the world. Shouldn't be anything bad happening because if there's an all-powerful God that can do anything and he's really all good, that would eliminate any evil, right? Maybe you've heard that equation. It's a thought process. It's one of those that's thrown up as a real issue with believing the Bible and what the Bible teaches, the problem of evil in the world. Here's the problem with these equations. It's the wrong math equation. It's the wrong math equation. So it's, it's a math equation, all right? Um, and we've, uh, the devil has presented it as a good equation and it makes sense to us in our human minds based on the way we're designed. And if you filter in our sin nature and the way we like to think about life, we love this equation. Yeah, God, you say you love me, right? And you're all powerful. So there shouldn't be any issues in my life. Why is it? that I'm having uh, pain and struggle and difficulty, right? They shouldn't be there. We like this one plus one equals two, and we, we love uh, how that would work out, and we think that's the way it should work out. It breaks down like this, God, if you're good, and you're all powerful and you can do anything, why aren't you putting that power and that goodness to work in my life in this area? Why aren't you taking this issue away? Why aren't you solving it? Why aren't you fixing it? Have you ever thought that before? (laughs) Just me. Yeah. Hey, it's a conundrum, man. It's a conundrum. What's going on? This is good math. Like I learned this in school. My teachers taught it to me, right? And so uh, we we think this makes sense. But we have the equation wrong, and that's what we want to unpack today. We're going to see how the devil presents this lie to Jesus, the Messiah, and how he presents it. It's gonna sound a little different than what I just said, but underneath, this is the lie. And I think you're gonna be able to see that. Um, Last week, we looked at the first lie um, that we're exposing in the series, and this was the devil interacting with Jesus. Again, Jesus, the son of God, God came to earth, took on human form, took on a body, became all man, still all God, Jesus, as God, right, in the flesh, is now encountering human existence. And so um, he goes into a time of testing, following his baptism, where uh, the Father affirms him. And, uh, and we see that um, uh, lifting up and identifying of who Jesus is as the Messiah. And he goes into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, leads him into this. And so he goes through a time uh, of fasting, 40 days. And he's very hungry at the end of it. Um, as as uh, I love sometimes how the Bible says things, 40 days fasting, he was hungry. And, uh, and so he's hungry. The devil comes and says, hey, Jesus, you have supernatural power. You're God. Here's some stones. Use your power to make bread. Meet your physical need. And so Jesus encounters the first lie that the devil uh, puts to him. It's also the lie that he tries to put to us, which is that your physical needs are more important than your spiritual needs address your physical needs, and then you're gonna be good. It's gonna meet the needs of your soul and your heart, and you're gonna be complete. And so we tend to think that way, focus in on the physical realm. But Jesus responded with the truth of God's word, which is that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that we are not just primarily physical beings. And it's not a battle between are we physical or spiritual, but everything we need, the source of all of it is God. And so we look to him first, and we focus on him, and then uh, he provides for the rest. And so this week, the devil makes a tactical shift. He moves. He uh, tries a different approach on Jesus. And he's going to engage something uh, that, that you and I are challenged with a lot. He's going to take some scripture, the words of God. The word of God is truth, 100% true, right? Right? Without error, we trust it. It's authoritative. So he's gonna take the word of God and he's gonna apply it to Jesus' situation, right? In a false way. Um, Call it cherry picking. You know what a cherry picker is, right? It's how you get an engine. It's an old mechanic thing. I don't know why we still use it, but pull an engine out of a car, use a cherry picker. So devil's gonna take a couple verses, cherry pick them out of a passage and use them to tempt Jesus with a lie. Now, I would love to tell you that every time the word of God is presented to you with a a particular motive or agenda, that it's always right because it's the word of God. You should be able to trust it. But you need to understand the devil uses the word of God to trick you. And in our world today, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of cherry picking verses, putting them on social media with a message. This is what it means. It's absolutely false. And it will lead you astray. And so we need to be students of God's word. We need to learn how to study, how to read, how to understand what's happening in God's word beyond just uh, a simple sentence structure that can be misused, it can be twisted. So first of all, let's look at the devil's lie. We're in Matthew 4, and uh, you can follow along on the screen. If you wanna turn in your Bible there, we're just looking at a few verses. But we move to the second lie that the devil tells And uh, in, in trying to test Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Okay, let's... Look at the tactic for a minute. It's important to understand, right? The enemy's uh, plans, the way he comes at us. First thing he does is says, if you're the son of God. Now, the devil knew without question who Jesus was. And Jesus knew who he was, right? So the if is meant to set him up for what is coming. In our lives, it sounds kind of like this. If God really cared, if God really loved you, if God was really powerful then. And so you got to understand the tactic, how it's coming at you. So you're aware, you can pick up on very quickly an attempt to deceive you. And then he says, if you are the son of God, jump off, jump off the temple. Because God's word says this, God's going to protect you. He's going to catch you. The devil moving to use a scripture is a, a very powerful tactical move and it represents a genius at deception. He can take something you believe in and present it to you in a false way so you will be more susceptible to it. This is, a, this is very important to understand the tactics of the enemy. We gotta understand Jesus' context here as to the application of this lie, this scripture to Jesus' situation. The devil recognizes that Jesus has come to earth on a mission for God. And in order to accomplish this mission, what does Jesus need to do? He needs to, become, he needs to move from being an obscure, uh, unknown individual to be an authoritative teacher among the Jewish people. No small task. The Jews have seen lots of teachers. Lots of people pop up with messages, with things they want to teach, And Jesus has a uh, no small task in order to accomplish the mission that God has sent him to do, which is what? It's to present the kingdom of God to the Jewish people. It's to present the fact that he's the Messiah, the coming king. This is a huge responsibility, a daunting task. How's this going to happen? The devil presents a great opportunity here to enter the scene in a powerful way. What the devil knows about the Jews is before there was the people from Missouri, there were the Jews. You know the the tagline for the Missouri people from Missouri were the show me state, right? The Jews were the original show me state people. They wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see to believe. Paul said about them, the Jews always wanna see a sign. Remember what they were always saying to Jesus? Do something amazing. Show us a miracle, then we'll believe in you. I mean, this is how they operate The devil knows Jesus knows this. They're his people. And he presents an opportunity for Jesus to enter the scene in an unmistakable way that will grab the attention of these people he's supposed to reach. It will accelerate his mission. Jesus, you've been called to do this by God. Let me help you out. I got a a good idea for you. If you jump off the temple, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. But here's what's going to happen. God, because he's in his word that he'll catch you, is going to perform a miracle and it's going to bring you onto the stage and people are going to see you, recognize you, listen to you. Satan is playing into Jesus' mission, the purpose for his presence on earth. Do you not think that when he comes for you, he's going to appeal to the things that God has told you to do? things you've been instructed to do. Hey, this is your mission. You're supposed to be uh, a good provider. You're supposed to be a good mother. You're supposed to be uh, a good employee, whatever. He's going to appeal to the things that are good. And he's going to present scripture, right? The truth of God's word to you. But his goal is for you to shift off of God's plan for you, God's will for you, and take a different step, a different direction. Underneath this situation underneath what the devil's presenting to Jesus is the promise of protection from God. If God's promises are true, he won't let anything bad happen to you. He's quoting from a passage out of uh, one of the Psalms. Psalm 91 is the passage Satan is quoting from. In order to identify cherry-picked truth, Right, Misapplied truth. You need to go to the source. You need to go to where that scripture is found. And you need to do some work. And you don't have to be an incredible Bible student. You don't need to have some incredible qualifications. You just need to read. Read the context of what's being talked about. What is happening here? If we go to Psalm 91, we're not going to read the whole thing today. I encourage you to. Maybe this week. Look into it. We're going to find that the way the devil uses these verses is completely out of the flow of what is meant by the author. David probably wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing God's words, so this is the truth of God. And he writes these words. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The devil pulls these words out. They're accurate, they're there. But what precedes it, when, when David probably starts this psalm, he writes about the position of, Listen, the position of a person who has found themselves intimately connected to God. They have have placed themselves in the arms, all right, in a relationship, in a closeness to God. With that position, with that placement of their lives in God, then there is protections. There are things that follow that come with it. What's interesting is the devil makes this sound. If Jesus jumps off the temple, God's gonna save you a miraculous sign. The truth is the psalm presents a very different picture. It presents a picture of difficulty, calamity, a disease, attack coming at you. And he says, these things are gonna come at you, but when you find yourself, when you place yourself in an intimate relationship with God, close to him, you're gonna find that, Those attacks, those things from the outside that are meant to destroy you will not be allowed to because God will protect you through them. He will ensure that what was meant for your harm turns out to be for your good. This is the tone of the Psalm, very different than the way that Satan is using it. He is trying to misuse, misappropriate the truth of God's word. Now, this is really important. When it comes to math, I'm not a math major, <laughs> but when it comes to math and the equation of life, I have learned a bit. I've picked up on a bit, and this is really, really important for you and I to understand this math equation. The math equation I presented in the beginning is what we want to believe. God is all-powerful. He's all-loving and good. So he's gonna protect me or take care of problems, keep them from happening. Keep pain and suffering out of my life. I want comfort, I want success, I want blessing. Okay, nothing wrong with those things. And the Bible tells us that God, as our good father, loves to give us those things. But God has a different equation that he's working on for you and I. God's primary goal for you is not necessarily your comfort and happiness, okay? Gotta be real, gotta be honest, this is truth time. God's goal for you, very clearly, is your maturity. It's for you to grow. That's his desire. As any good parent does not want their child to stay immature and a baby needing milk their whole life. You want them to grow up, right? Be able to eat solid food, right? Even though that changes the situation, at diaper change in (laughs) time. It's still important that we move that direction. We're making progress. And so God wants that for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He has, a, he has a, 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 the way he sees you is as a masterpiece of his able and ready to do amazing work in this world. You can't do that as a baby. You and I have to grow. And so God's math equation is not the one that we have in our minds. God's math equation is this. In order for you to mature, in order for, I to, uh, for me to mature, What's required? It's a difficult truth. My name's John, I'm your friend, okay? Difficult truth. The only way we mature and grow is through pain, It's through struggle, It's by grappling with things that we don't like, that we don't want in our lives, that we wanna be done with and rid of, to be uncomfortable. That is the path to maturity. And so God, if he's a good God and loves us, his math equation doesn't look like all loving, all powerful, so no problems. (laughs) It looks like all loving, all powerful, I'm gonna help you through some problems. I'm gonna let you struggle. You're gonna be on the struggle bus a little bit with some issues, you're gonna have to be. Because I need you there because I want you to grow. I don't just want you to be happy and content, right? I want you to grow. And so the math equation God is working off of is different than the one we like and we wish were the case. Maturity being the goal, tests bring discomfort to our lives. And it's absolutely essential for you and I to grow. We have a sin nature. We live in a world where we wrestle with self-centeredness and selfishness. And in order to bump us off of that, we need to be uncomfortable. We need to wrestle with things in our lives that we can't control and grapple with them and wrestle with them and learn to depend on God to give us the strength either to endure them or to gain victory over them. Both can be the case. This is God's equation for us. Can we grow to the point where we can deny our own emotions, our own impulses, what looks like something to our personal benefit in order to do what's really right and good? The lie that Satan wants to plant in us is that really what we should want and what God would really want for us if he was a good God is to get us out from underneath that pressure. Why would anybody loving want somebody they love to stand under pressure, be uncomfortable, be miserable? That's not right. This is how we like to think. It's the opposite of what's true. And it's a good lie. It's a masterful lie. It plays to what we want to believe. And we're so tempted to walk in it. And we walk in it, we can go in and out of it all the time. The answer is to expose the lie with the truth and to realize what the truth is and Jesus is gonna present the truth. Um, one of our biggest problems as uh, as a human race is that we like power and control. And listen, we're created to be in dominion over this earth. God created us with power, uh, uh, um, made in God's image. So we look like God. We're made like God. There's no one else, nothing else in creation that is close to representing God. We do. We're made in his image. I believe God's given us a little bit of his power. We have the ability to choose, to make choices. This is important. And uh, he's given us uh, intelligence, right? And rationale. We can think differently. We have opposable thumbs. <laughs> um, we have the ability to rule, and we're supposed to. So we're given a position of power. The problem is that walking with that power correctly requires character transformation. We need, to be, uh, we need to be like God in our character in order to handle the power that we're given. And so in order to walk in this, we need to experience this transformation. The only way that we get character transformation, again, is through pressure and through struggle and through difficulty, where we are elements where we're out of control where we're forced to rely on God and learn from him. We struggle consistently with wanting to overreach and overgrasp the power that we've been given. The challenge is that we need to be shaped and transformed by God. So Jesus fields this lie. Jesus, the son of God, uh, he is Absolute truth. There's no deception in him. There's no shades. There's nothing off what Jesus says and who Jesus is. Perfect alignment, perfect fidelity. He is 100% truth. And so he sees very quickly this lie that's being uh, lobbed at him. And his identification of it, in part, and his ability to handle it, comes from a couple of areas. One is his absolute awareness of the truth. The other is his absolute uh, surrender to God, his attitude of wanting to walk in God's plan, fulfill God's will. He's not wrestling with his own agenda, but he's quickly surrendered. And so he identifies it and responds to it quickly. Jesus is going to drop a truth bomb on the devil's lie. Part of my goal in this message is to give you some truth bombs, hand grenades, whatever. I know it's violent, but I want you to explode the devil's lies. I do not want them to exist anywhere near you because the danger of allowing a lie, a deception, anywhere in your heart and mind is almost immeasurable. If you could measure up the damage done in our world in our, uh, over the existence of the human race by lies, can't even measure it. Look, this is the most dangerous thing you might deal with is a lie of the devil. And so uh, there's, no, <laughs> there's no holds barred. Um, there's no tactic that we don't. We use absolute truth to destroy it, and so Jesus' truth bomb comes like this: Matthew four seven. Jesus says, responds to the devil's presentation. Jesus responded, "The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The scriptures also say, devil, you must not test the Lord your God. Now I don't know about you, but." Maybe you've looked at this before, you've studied it all out, I don't know, but it's a little strange right off the top as a response to, uh, to this test. I mean, it makes sense in some ways, but in other ways, uh, it's a little murky as to why Jesus uses this scripture and this answer to the test, the lie that the devil is, um, is directed at him. I think what helps us get what he's saying here is to understand the bigger context. What is the history of this passage that Jesus is quoting. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. says this, You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. Okay, there's something else going on here. What's going on here? Uh, this book of Deuteronomy, what's going on in Deuteronomy? Well, Moses is preparing the nation of Israel to go into the land of Canaan that God promised them. Remember, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, They were living as slaves. They did not have freedom. Their spiritual lives were choked off. Their physical lives were controlled by a a regime that was godless, pagan, and and absolutely in opposition to them and what they believed. And God chose a leader named Moses, who was a failed leader, but was chosen by God for a position. He said, Moses, you need to go help. You're going to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And so Moses reluctantly went and attacked the job. And God, working through Moses, confronted Pharaoh with his power. And Pharaoh was ultimately brought to his knees to surrender to God's plan to release the nation of Israel. They left Egypt and they headed out into the wilderness And uh, what did they encounter? The first thing they encountered was uh, a body of water they couldn't cross. Pharaoh had changed his mind. He's coming after them. And uh, and they faced this water and God did something amazing. For the predecessors to the people from Missouri, God did something amazing, right? He goes, all right, guys, you got a body of water in front of you. You can't get across. You got the Pharaoh coming behind. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spread the water. You're going to walk through on dry ground. And they did. And God closed the waters behind them and swallowed up Egypt's army and saved them that day. And how about you? But I think if I was one of those people, that's probably the only sign I'd ever need to know that God is with me, right? I mean, yeah, partner of water, Red Sea. Come on. That didn't happen. That's amazing. Okay, I'm in, God. You're with me. I'll never question you again. Yeah well, it's not how it went. It's not how it goes for us either. And uh, the truth is they faced another problem pretty quickly. About a million people probably out in the desert had a need for some resources. And in the desert, those resources aren't always uh, forthright, right? easy to find, food and water. And so they ran into uh, a water shortage. And they go to Moses! Moses! We're going to die here in the desert. Did God bring us out here to kill us? What's going on, man? You got to do something. And Moses is like, listen, God's with us. It's going to be okay. But Moses goes to God. These people are getting angry, God. You got to do something here. They need water. And God says, I know, I know, I got it. And, and Moses goes, um, God, they're going to kill me, man. Would you do something here? And so God goes, take your staff. And, and here's a rock. Go out and hit the rock. And I'm going to bring water out of the rock. And he did. And the people had water. The problem is that this encounter, this situation was handled by the nation of Israel in the wrong way. And Jesus is referring to the nation of Israel and how they approached God in a time of difficulty when they were under pressure, when they were being tested. Exodus 17 is the source text for this story. Moses named the place Massa, which means test. And Meribah, which means arguing because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, listen, is the Lord here with us or not? Is God really here or not? Does God really care or not? Is God really loving or not? Is he really powerful or not? This was the test that the nation of Israel put to God, the argumentation The devil presenting to Jesus an opportunity to test God is really what he's encouraging Jesus to do is the same thing. It's to to, uh, move a power play with God and say, okay, God, you told me to do this. This is what you instructed me to do. Here's how I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna take this step. I'm gonna force your hand. I'm gonna test you. And if you're really there, if you really are who you say you are, you're gonna answer. You're gonna do what you said you'd do but the person in the driver's seat is me. This is where the devil wants you. Stay in control, stay in the power position in your life. Keep taking more of it, keep grabbing more of it. Don't let it go, don't don't let anybody go. Don't let God have control, you keep it. That is where the devil wants you to be. That'll be a place where you will not grow to maturity in Christ. You will stay a child. And so this is where the devil wants you. It's why it's a lie saying to Jesus, take this step, take this shortcut. It's gonna work out, you'll accomplish what God wants, but the way in which he's doing it, you're controlling the process. The nation of Israel came with complaint, with question, with doubt, challenging God. You can't really do this. You aren't really who you say you are. As we go through life, we enter seasons where we're under pressure. Maybe you've been there, maybe you've been through one, maybe you're in one now. A season of pressure where things are difficult. You've got an irritation, you've got a problem, you've got an issue that is a little more than you can handle and it's constantly there weighing on you. And you're thinking to yourself, God, this is not working out for the good in my life. It's causing me to actually slip away from you. I need you to do something here. Back in the 1500s, uh, something happened called the Protestant Reformation. You may have heard of it. Uh, a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther posted some theses on uh, a, a, a door and, uh, of a... Uh, of, uh, uh, a church, whatever, and he was uh, presenting some challenges he had to the Catholic church at the time, which everyone was Catholic. Catholic means universal. it's all there was, and he wanted to reform the church. He thought the church had gotten off from the scriptures. Well, in this season, about that hundred years, a lot of things going on, but there was a guy by the name of uh, Saint John of the Cross who wrote a poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. Dark Night of the Soul was turned into a book where he expounded more on what he put in this poem, which was basically a presentation of a time and a season of deep struggle in his soul, wrestling with pressure, pain, discomfort, and how that affected him in his relationship to God and how he navigated that. And he actually does a really good job that's helpful in a lot of ways of keeping a Christian on track through a season of pressure and difficulty where, we can be, instead of pulled closer to God, we can be pushed away from God. We can distance ourselves from God because we don't know where he's at. We're questioning in our hearts. God, do you know? Do you care? Are you with me? Can you really do something here? These questions are human. They're part of our nature. We got to come to the right conclusions and he helps to navigate that. The apostle Paul uh, had some incredible spiritual experiences Uh, He says in 2 Corinthians that he was uh, taken into the third heaven, which is where God exists, and he saw things that no human being should be able to see. He saw the supernatural. He saw this realm we're talking about. He saw it. He goes, I don't know if I was there in the flesh. I don't know if I was there just in my mind, if it was a vision, but it was real, and I saw things. And those things empowered me. They gave me confidence as a servant of God, as a minister of the gospel. But in uh, 2 Corinthians... 12, he says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger, listen, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming what? Proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness Listen to the math equation here, right? Paul's working out the math. So now I I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. Here's, Here's his math equation. When I am weak, then I'm strong. God does not take away all the struggles that you're going to have in your life. I've met a lot of people go, I struggle with lust. I struggle with porn. God just needs to take it away. I can't win this battle. I struggle with addiction. I can't seem to win it. I struggle with anxiety. I just need that to go away. Struggle with depression. I need it to go away. I'm struggling with pain, physical pain. God, you got to take it away. Whatever it is, we come with these issues to God and we go, God, why aren't you just dealing with this? Make it go away. And the devil wants you and I to believe that that's how God should work. He's going to keep his promises. That's what he would do. But the Apostle Paul, St. John of the Cross, many others down through the years have discovered the truth about God's plan and work in our lives. is not to eliminate every piece of struggle. He actually allows them to remain. The math equation is to figure out why. Why is it there? Is it to discourage me? Is it to pull me back? Is it to distance me from God? Weaken my faith? No. It's to make you stronger. The more dependent on God you are, the more powerful you are spiritually. The more able you are to do his work. I want you to have some truth bombs to combat the lies of the devil. He's a good liar, masterful. You need to walk in these truths. Here's a couple of them. God is good, or or God, excuse me, is a good God. Unequivocally, without question, he's a good God. God is always there for me. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's never not with you. The devil would like you to think he's not. He is. God is not my accuser. The Bible says very clearly that the devil is the accuser. He's your attacker. He's your enemy, not God. God is always with me. God is always for me. God wants me to rely on him more. And here's perhaps the biggest one that we need from time to time to reset our hearts and minds. And that is that God is God and I am not. It's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, especially with our battle for control. But Job interacted this issue with God. He faced this uh, conclusion to a time of struggling and pressure and, and suffering and he was allowed to argue with God, to talk to God, to go to God with his case, and to, and to describe his pain and suffering. And God listened to it all very graciously. And at the end, God came to Job, and he built a relationship with Job, and he had an intimate encounter with Job. And it started off with a reset, Job thirty-eight. Then the Lord said, "Answered, uh, excuse me." Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, "Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words?" Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. (laughs) Look, we wanna be God. We're not God. We don't have the ability. We don't have the character. We don't have, it's not who we are. We've been made in God's image and we're supposed to walk with God. We gotta walk in humility with him. God's gentle with us. But he's also firm. If we're going to challenge God, come to him on an equal plane, we need to have the power and position, authority to do it. And God reminds Job of where he stands in relation to him. We cannot have the intimate, dependent relationship with God we need if we keep thinking we're God and we keep trying to step right out of our position. It's important that we walk in the right perspective and we're dependent on God. Guys, I want you to know through this series that the supernatural realm is real. God is at work in the supernatural realm. He's fighting your battles. He, is, he has your back. He's defending you. He's working for you. He's doing things that you cannot see. And you're not gonna see it all the time, but I want you to know it and believe it. John Patton was a missionary in the New Herbie's Islands. And one day, hostile, the hostile natives of the tribe he was trying to reach surrounded their mission compound with torches. They were gonna light the compound on fire and burn them out and kill them. A stressful night, that John and his wife endured. They prayed to God, would you rescue us, save us? We're gonna be destroyed. In the morning, they were surprised to see the natives disperse and leave. A year later, the chief makes a decision to trust Christ and and John asks him about this uh, night he will never forget a year ago. What happened there? Well, why did you guys leave all of a sudden? You had us surrounded. You could destroy us and kill us instantly. He said, well, who are all those men around the compound? And he said, well, there was no man around the compound. We were alone. Well, the chief said, no, there was hundreds of big men with shining garments, with drawn swords, encircling the mission. We see pictures of this in the Bible. People's eyes are open to the reality of God's armies. God is fighting on your behalf. He's real. He's there. He's at work you and I need to become aware of his work. One of the biggest tools we have to engage the supernatural is prayer. And a life of prayer will keep us connected to the God who is real and active, but who is spirit. We need to be connected to that realm. And so one of the things we're gonna do as a church is out in the lobby, we're gonna build a prayer wall here pretty quick. We've got a prayer team. I'm excited to have this going in our church. We've got folks in red vests here. In the services, we're trying to have them available. If you need prayer, something going on in your life, go to them and get some prayer, begin to pray. We wanna pray as a church. Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. It's, what we're, it's where it begins, it's where it ends. And so we're gonna pray and we're gonna have a visible uh, prayer wall, kind of a prayer tree. And I'm gonna ask you to put prayer requests up there. And when God answers them, to move them to the answer category because we need visuals. We need to be able to see that God's at work in the spiritual realm. I need to be encouraged by the way God is working in your life. And you need to be encouraged by how God's working in my life. We need to help each other see the reality of the spiritual battle we're in. We need to gain the ability to expose the lies, see the truth, and use the truth to destroy the lies that the devil wants to use to destroy us. God, thank you so much for your presence here, the power that you bring to bear. The person, uh, who you are is what we need. You contain everything we need for life. We need you to live. God, I pray that you would grow our dependency on you, grow our awareness of you, grow our discernment of the spiritual battle that we're in. I pray for each person here, their eyes will begin to open in a greater way to the attacks of the enemy, how he seeks to throw them off course Teach them the wrong math equation so they will come to the wrong conclusions. God, protect us. Help us to see the truth, to do what Jesus did, to walk with you so that we can, we can resist the lies with the absolute pure truth of who you are and what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.